I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. In a couple days, I'll be headed to New York to speak at the Women's Tennis Coaching Association Conference in Manhattan, and then to cover the U.S. Open for Parenting Aces. If you're gonna be at the Open, I hope you'll reach out to me either through social media or you can email me, lisa at parentingaces.com, and let me know so we can connect in New York. That would be so much fun. I love meeting people that are Parenting Aces fans and listeners and readers in person, so be sure and reach out. Well, a few weeks ago, I got an email from a member of the Parenting Aces community asking me to please do a podcast on how in the world you develop a top junior player when you have limited financial means. And I realized that I've never really covered that topic in detail. So I reached out to my contacts and found a coach and a coach slash parent who were willing to come on and talk about that exact topic. So this week we delve into how you can cut costs how you can minimize your expenditures, how you can minimize time away from work, time away from school, and still help your child reach his or her highest potential. We've got Coach Mike Belanger, who runs a junior development program in Greensboro, North Carolina. And we also have Will Seagraves, whose son, Gavin, has verbally committed to play college tennis at the Naval Academy beginning in fall 2019. So Gavin's just starting his senior year of high school. And the two of them offer up some fantastic information and ideas of how you can still help your child reach that level that they're striving for without breaking the bank. So sit back and enjoy this week's podcast with Mike Belanger and Will Seagraves. Mike Belanger and Will Seagraves, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Thank you for having Uh, me. Thank you, Lisa. So I'm going to start with you, Mike. Can you give our listeners a little bit of info about yourself and your involvement in tennis, how you got started, um, you know, growing up in tennis and what you're doing now? Yeah, so I started pretty late in tennis. I didn't play my first tournament until boys 16. So I took my share of losses, but I, I was really into it and played a lot, played a little bit of college tennis. And then as soon as college was over, I worked a brief stint at a country club. And then I started um, managing the uh, tennis programs for the city of Greensboro and uh, started off teaching. Then it went more administrative. And then about 15 years ago, started, um, wanted to get back on the court. So we started a junior program and, uh, that's what's going on today. We have a full-time program that's been in place. We're going into our sixth year this year. So we have uh, different kids in there, and uh, hopefully they're getting better. 
And talk a little bit about, Mike, um, the structure of your program and the cost of your program, because the focus today is on how do we develop a junior player when we have a limited budget, and your program fits right into that. Right. So our mission basically is to try to make um, tennis, um, high-level tennis training affordable, Um so we're we're actually nonprofit, and so we have a board and we do fundraisers and uh, and we try to also keep our costs down for you know the you know the middle class also to do the, to do the tennis uh, tennis training. So you know it takes a lot of sacrifice from the staff um, from volunteers and but we all pull together in the in the same mission trying to develop these kids you know, on the court and off the court. And we think that's related. So um, as far as what we do in our full-time program, we're probably, um, you know, sometimes half or a third of what other people, other programs um, charge. And then we also give financial aid to qualified candidates. So um, and and that's based on need instead of level. Got it. Okay. So I was just getting ready to ask what, what defines a qualified candidate? So it's, it's somebody that is in financial need of assistance. Yeah. Somebody that's in financial need and, you know, a lot of people in their, in their life don't um, qualify for, qualify for financial aid, but um, tennis is expensive. So you're going to have people qualify for financial aid that, you know, normally don't apply for financial aid and other, other things. But um, to develop players, it can, you know, costs can go up. So we just try to help everyone that we can. Fantastic. And Will Seagraves, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your background in the sport. Sure. Thank you. Well, I uh, I grew up playing tennis in uh, Texas and in Atlanta, Georgia. I had parents in each state, so I I played in both states and um, went on and played uh, college tennis at Augusta University. Uh, then, you know, kind of after college, I, I, uh, became an assistant coach at DeKalb college, which is now Georgia perimeter college. And we, we won a couple of national championships there. Um, and then after that, I kind of forked out into the club and the academy, um, side of the business and taught in an academy for four years in Dallas, Texas, and then was kind of in Atlanta for the better part of 14 years, something like that or more. Uh, teaching tennis at some of the private clubs and direct uh, directed the club for seven years, and then uh, now I'm up in in Virginia and working at a very nice club up here in Charlottesville. And uh, you know, all along I've I've tried to help good juniors when I when I can, and and been trying to help my own kids play tennis, and that's kind of what I do. Fantastic, and and we just have to mention that your son Gavin, who. I have to point out was the champion at the first Saul Schwartz Save College Tennis All-In Tournament in Atlanta in 2017. So Gavin has a special place in our hearts here in Atlanta. Um, but Gavin is also on track to play college tennis at the Naval Academy. Yes, yes. He's very excited about it. He's a rising senior this year and um, he's got to uh, finish a few more, a few more uh, details and then He'll should be all set hopefully for fall of 2019. Uh, technically, I guess they go 
they start in the summer, like July, and they do Oof. like a couple months of uh, boot camp, basically. So nice coming up pretty quick. Coming up quick. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So again, I mean, the focus of this week's conversation is how can somebody that doesn't have unlimited financial resources help their child develop to their full potential in tennis? And the reason for having the two of you on the show this week is, Mike, you run a program that caters to partially at least that demographic. And Will, you have managed to get your own child to the highest level on a pretty limited income. And the two of you have had unbelievable success. So I, for those listening, what do you advise them to do in terms of getting started if they have a child that is interested in long-term tennis development? How can they find a coach or a program or how, what should they be doing to start their kids off on the right foot? And Mike, do you want to go first on that? Okay, sure. So I think the first thing you do, you, you, you're interested in tennis. You want to do your homework. You know, you want to see what programs are out there and who is, um, where the players are coming from. I think that's the first step. And then once you find a program to, to join, then you really want to maximize your participation in that program by and I think uh by being the one that works the hardest in the group, you know, being the one that's the most engaged in the group. Um I think one thing that we've we think about a lot is, you know, how players get better. And to us, if you if you have three parts, which is point play, group training, and private instruction, we feel like the two most important parts in, the, in that formula is the point play and the private instruction and kind of that group training aspect is, is kind of a distant third. Um, and we do group training, but our group training is a lot of point play. So we kind of merge that group training and point play together. Mm-hmm. And so for the kid that's that's in your program and let's say they can't afford private coaching, you know, other than mm-hmm. periodically, um, mm-hmm. what can they do to get better day by day and get to a place where, for example, they are being looked at by college coaches? Right. So I think, you know, it depends on how you do the private instruction. So. If you even break down the private instruction, you know, sometimes you can cut the cost by doing semi-private. Um, sometimes you can maximize your time by doing the warm-up and the cool-down before your lesson starts. So the pro isn't warming you up. You can do that on your own. And then you you have to become independent in the sense, you know, when that lesson's over, if you if you can't take that many, then you're asking the coach what you need to work on and be able to work on things independently. But you need to you really should ask the coach, you know, and be open with them and say, what do I need to do before my next lesson? What's and so the, you're just maximizing that time. 
Okay. And what's the parent's role in that? I think the parent, um, you know, the parent is the one who has to initially figure out who who they think is going to be the best fit. And then the parent also has to, um, as far as that independent training, has to help facilitate that. So if you're going to, if, if the student is going to work on serves, you know, sometimes they have to be taken to the court to work on their serve. Um, and I feel like a parent in a large part is kind of the attitude coach, making sure that the, that the student is, is doing their best and making sure they have that positive, uh, work ethic. Mm -hmm. Will, what do you have to add to all that? Well, I think, you know, if we're talking about, you know, how do we develop a player and into somebody that's starting from beginners or intermediates and we're trying to get them to a tournament level and, and beyond, you know, I mean, for me, the number one thing is just is kind of the drip on the rock. If, if the player wants to get out and play every day, then they don't have to spend a, a ton of money. So if they can find a wall, if they can find, you know, buddies to hit with, if they can find a ball machine that's maybe not so expensive, you know, if they can't afford to do a lot of privates, um, then maybe they do privates on a very limited basis, uh, maybe some semi-privates, or if they can get into a group where the group costs aren't as, as expensive. But what I see most of the time these days is that the juniors are um, almost all their training is either in an academy group that they're paying for or with the with the private coach. And as a coach, I, mm-hmm. I like it when they take lessons because they make money. But with my own students, I'm always encouraging them that, you know, every private lesson they might do with me, that they hit with a buddy, they hit with a parent, they do a bucket of serves, they do hitting on the wall, ball machine, um, you know, as kind of their homework and to, and to um, as part of their training. And I think it's actually good for them to go out and do things and have some mixture. So, I, you know, I do like to see some academy play where kids can get together with other good kids and play. And I do like to see the privates a little bit. What I don't really like to see is when it's, when it's 100% academy and privates um because there's some some value in kind of learning on your own and succeeding and failing a little bit on your own and having to kind of you know um be a little bit hungry and creative in how you're going to train i know when i grew up um my parents didn't put a lot of money in my tennis but i pretty much wore out any ball machine or any wall or uh, any bucket of serve that that was around and uh, that that helped me develop a lot i did not do a lot of privates as a kid so from kind of the developmental stages i think it's just uh the number one thing is that somebody gets out almost on a daily basis six days a week maybe not seven but five and six and seven days a week and finding some way to keep hitting a tennis ball and you will get better the other thing that i always try to say is that somebody's got to be the mentor or the visionary so you know maybe you can't afford a private coach and maybe that needs to be a parent Sometimes I've seen where the kid is the visionary and kind of has the vision for, you know, what's the technique going to be like? What's the, what's the game style going to be like? Um, If you have a TV and have access to the tennis channel, that's way more resource than we ever had growing up. If you have uh, YouTube, you can look up almost any player in history, serve and forehand and mimic and copy. That's a, that's a great tool and resource that, 
we didn't have growing up. So if you really want to develop and be a good tennis player, you just have to be creative and you got to have the drive and, and uh, the less money you have to spend or your parents have to spend, the more you've got to be looking all these at these other resources. If you if you happen to have parents with some money to fund things, it it makes it a little easier. But in some cases, it's sometimes you can develop a little bit better if you're having to do a little bit of the legwork yourself. Or so um, that that's that's kind of the beginning of how I see that kids can develop and maybe develop on a budget. Right. And I don't know if if this is something that's done. I know when I was a kid, this one of the things we did is when a buddy was having a lesson, we stood on the same side of the court as the coach and just mm-hmm. hit their balls. You know, we weren't paying to be part of the lesson. We weren't getting coaching. We were just on the court hitting balls, you know, and then we were there to help pick up, which kind of sped things up for the kid paying for the lesson. And you kind of got a, you know, a little bit of a twofer you know, by, right. by being on the court and, you know, whoever was having the lesson, you, you were getting to return their serves, getting to feed balls to them or, you know, whatever it was they were working on. Do y'all still see that happening? I see what, what we do a lot of is we'll get kids to come in and join other kids. Um, and we get our kids to help teach as well. So that's one thing that helps us get the younger kids some instruction is, you know, part of our our mission. We want kids to help kids. So, you know, our kids, we'll, we'll have them work with, you know, sometimes our 12-year-olds are working with 8-year-old. And they're teaching what they've been taught. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely ways to kind of maximize you know, what you're doing. If you're, you know, depending on how much instruction you're looking for, sometimes a 30 minute lesson and then practice on your own is, is as good or better than an hour lesson. Mm -hmm. It keeps things more focused. Right. Well, as, as you mentioned, we're, we're not trying to put coaches out of business here because we understand coaches have to make a living too, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're trying to keep the game accessible to as many families as possible. And, you know, it seems to me, even in, you know, the however many years I've been involved with tennis with my kid, the costs have gone up so much and it's just, it's getting more and more cost prohibitive for families to choose tennis for their children. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, um, you know, they're, for, don't want to put the pros out of business or myself either. Um, but there, there's plenty of kids out there with the parents that do have the resources. And, and, you know, like I said, it's a little easier if you can, if you can, um, you know, write the checks, but even for the parents that have a ton of money, it's still a good idea for the kid to be going off and doing a little bit on their own. The one thing I've been doing at my club now, I started this thing called a thousand point club and, you know, I give kids a couple months and I have a little, have a little group of kids. Last group, I had like these five kids. And I said, look, it's on you guys to schedule play. But anytime you get out, even if you're just playing serve four, return four, not keeping score, just turn in how many points you played and see if you can get to a thousand points on your own without any parent setting it up or anything like that. These kids are about 12. Um, mm-hmm. And two of the kids got over a thousand, played over a thousand points. 
And you know what? Those kids got a ton better. The kids that, that did not do that, you know, they didn't improve as much. But um, I'm a big believer in the kids getting off on their own and, and playing. So um, I love that. But like you said, but like I said, like you're saying, this is, you know, we're talking today about what do, what do you do for the kids that don't have the money? So right. for the kids that don't have the money, you know, you just you, you've got to supplement that with hitting a lot on your own. You, you know, you've got to find a wall to hit on, um, as anybody that's done it will tell you, I mean, in 30 minutes you can hit, you know, 1200 balls. So that's a ton of hitting. Um, you can get out and hit buckets of serves and all these other things. So for the, for the kids that don't have money, there's a, there's so much that you can do to uh, get yourself ready. If, uh, if you have the drive. So right. that, I mean, that, that's the first part. How do you, how do you become a good tennis player? You know, the other part with the money is if you are becoming a really good tennis player, you know, then what do you do? What do you do about tournaments and what do you do about getting up the ranking lists and the rating lists and attracting attention from the coaches? Um, so that's a whole different piece of the puzzle. So, but well, and that was, not- that was where I was segueing to. So you, yeah. oh, <laughs> you just opened you. the door. So thank you. That was perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so well, really, me- I, it's not necessarily okay. that hard be, to become a pretty good tennis player, but but then you go ahead with what you're going to say. <laughs> well, I was going to jump back to Mike for a minute. So, Mike, you've got you know kids, let's say that are on scholarship or grant at your program, and they're developing to a point where they're ready to play tournaments. And um, as we were talking offline, I mean, you've got kids who are looking to play college tennis, which means that they're having to play some bigger tournaments so that they get on the coach's radar, as Will was saying. What do you do to guide them or help them? What advice do you give them in terms of which tournaments to play, how to budget for that, and how to keep it economical? Yeah, I think uh, one of the big things is you you have to try to find the best competitive opportunities and not as much, you know, just chasing points. Um, if you're if you're traveling for a tournament, you know, you want to be you know, you definitely don't want to be in the bottom 25 percent, because if you are, then the chances are you're going to make the travel plans and there's a good chance that you play two matches and maybe three. So I think the selection on that is really important. I think the landscape might be changing a little bit because it seems like there's there's more and more options now. Since uh, UTR is kind of taking hold, you, mm-hmm. you can go the ITA route if you're a high school player. I mean, high school age, age kid and do that and maybe travel a little bit less. But I really think that that's definitely the biggest challenge. And one right. thing that you can try to do is, is, is go to tournaments in groups. I mean, we have our program, so it's easy for us to do. We all get in a van and rent a house, and it makes it a lot cheaper. Um, but even if you're not in a program like ours, I think as a parent just – reaching out to other parents and just saying, you know, I'll take your, your player this weekend and you take mine next weekend and you can reduce the cost a lot by just working together. 
Absolutely. I mean, I have the fondest memories of traveling to junior tournaments with the Harrison family. And that's Ryan Harrison's family. I grew up with his mm-hmm. dad and his aunt and aunts and uncles. And, um, you know, his mom would throw us all in a big car, a big station wagon. And this was before seatbelt laws. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there were a bunch of us in the car right. and we'd all stay in a hotel room together and, you know, we would get up in the morning and make a stack of peanut butter sandwiches to take with us to the courts. And it was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, I agree it can be done. It's, it's not the norm. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't form a new normal. Right. Right. And it helps the kids develop a little bit more independence, you know? So, and I think that's one of, one of the keys. I mean, you know, as far as the training and the tournaments, they, you want them to develop as, as much independence as possible and, and play, play lots of matches, whether it's in practice or, or tournaments. So we'll talk about maybe some, some of the things you did with Gavin to help him get to the place. Cause I know um, you and I are friends on Facebook and, you know, you've, written a lot of stuff about how frustrating it's been to have this talented kid when you don't have necessarily the budget of, you know, well, somebody that's, that's got all the money in the world and, and you're trying to help him get as far as he can get. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what I would tell parents is, is you kind of got to begin with the end in mind. It's like, you know, what is it that you, that you want to accomplish and, you know, um, now, now that my son's 18, if I could go back, I could redo a lot of things. I would do a lot of things a little bit differently. Um, but we're, you know, we're 18. So what are you going to do? So I'm starting over with my, my next child that's 12 a little bit, but you know, if it, I'll break it down a little bit this way. If you want to be, um, an international world player, you know, like a child that's going to be top 200, 100, 50, whatever in the, in the world and juniors and have a chance at pros, um, you know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to have to get it from somewhere. So kind of starting with the top, if you're going to be way up at that level, you're going to need to travel. You, you simply cannot get, you can't even really get into that level, no matter how good you are, unless you can travel. So if, if that's the USTA or a, a federation from whatever country you're in, kind of um, supplementing the travel expenses, then that's good. If you, if you have the money yourself, that's good. If you have a sponsor or something like that, um, you know, other than that, it's, 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 I, I know this sounds depressing, but it's almost impossible because. Well, and I, get- well let me, let me interrupt one second because one story sure. that I, I come back to a lot is the story of Chris Eubanks who Grew up in Atlanta, and I know Will. I know you know him. Um, oh yeah, Chris. Chris played very few junior tournaments growing up. What he did, and I don't know the details of how this came about, and maybe you do, Will. But um, Chris connected with Donald Young's family, and from a yeah. pretty young age, I want to say maybe even like fourteen. Um, Chris was traveling around the world with Donald and, you know, would hit with him, would observe things that were going on with him. And Chris got to a place where he won our biggest 
Southern tournament. He got recruited to play at Georgia Tech. He had a phenomenal career there. He is now turned pro. He won a $100,000 grant from Oracle as a result of being a collegiate player. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, set up really nicely to start his professional career. He And I just just found out, and I don't know when this is going to air, but um, I just found out today that Chris got a wild card into the U.S. Open Quali. So, yeah, um, yeah so, I mean, it's, well, you know. Well, like you said, but like you said, when he was 14, Donald Young, who, you know, clearly would have helped, you know, pay for that. And so, exactly. And that's the exactly. thing. Well, you have a, and I, Chris is a, one of the nicest guys. Gavin played him in doubles when he was, when Gavin was maybe 14 and Chris was a senior. It was the end of his senior year of high school and, and Chris and Robert Kelly beat Gavin and somebody eight, three and Gavin was super excited because he got three games off of the six foot seven guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did a, and the, and the two boys uh, stopped to take a picture with, you know, with the kids afterwards. And that was really classy of them. But um, but that's the thing. You have an elite player like Chris Eubanks. It takes something like that. That's the thing. It takes either, you know, a Donald Young takes you under his wing or the USTA puts you in their national program and can help you or or the family's got money. It has to come from somewhere. If you mm-hmm. if you don't have some resource or outlet, then then, you, you know, you're going to there's going to be a cap. It's going to be challenges, not impossible. So the next thing under that is, from for what I would suggest for people, is if you can't, if you're not going to be able to find that way to travel nationally and internationally, then the next thing you can do is work through your section. So, um, and that may not be super inexpensive, but that's the next thing down. If if you can get high enough on your section's endorsement list, then you can gain entry into the national level one tournament. So a lot of people play a lot of national two and national three level events um, and don't necessarily play a lot of the sectional stuff. But uh, for people that are a little bit more on a budget, if they can, if they can get to enough tournaments within their section and do well enough, um, they can get high enough on an endorsement list to go um, to qualify to get into the national level one events. So if you can afford to travel around at least your section, which is not cheap, then you have an opportunity. Then if you can get out to one or two, there's there's four national level ones a year. And if you can get out to to one of those and do well, you start attracting some of the national attention and, and then you can get some funding that way. But as far as... Um, for for most people, that's a little bit more, you know, middle income reasonable that they can do something like that. And if you can, if you can, if you can work your way up to section, then you're going to be, you will subsequently have a pretty good tennis recruiting ranking, a UTR ranking. You'll be able to get into some national events where you can get some college coaching exposure. And so that's, um, that's a pretty good way that's not, crazy expensive to get into the college scene and if you really are at a super duper elite level and you get into a national tournament like a Kalamazoo and you barnstorm through there then that could open up a lot of other doors for you but 
you got to make the most of those, those chances. And it's, um, I think the other thing people got to think about is if, if you're not able to play, if you are an elite talent, but you can't get out and play all the elite, all, all the other elite players who don't necessarily play a lot of state and sectional level tennis, you miss out on dozens and dozens of elite level matches per year that would make you a better player. So, uh, not impossible, just hard. And that's just, so, that's just kind of the reality. So let me throw this idea out though. So even for a family that where the player is reaching that highest level, but they can't afford to travel to all these big national events in almost every city in the U S at least. And I can't speak on an international basis, but in the U S there are college tennis players or former college tennis players that my guess is they would be more than happy to get out and play with an up and coming junior. Uh, Typically, you know, free of charge. I mean, it's, it's a great workout for them. And so Mike, I don't know if you guys reach out to the local college teams in, in the Greensboro area or if you'll have former players that come out and hit with your kids. But to me, that's a way to get some very high-level matches in without the cost of travel. Right, yeah, we we do that some. Like we, we had a program, we called it College Pro Hitting. So we got college players in, and the kids would come in, and a college player would hit with two kids, one at a time. And so they would get to see that ball and the the college player would give some feedback. And, you know, a lot of times what you're paying for group instruction, you can do one-on-one with a college player, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's definitely a very good way to get some competition. Um, You know, as far as the tournament track and things like that, you know, you can, if it's hard for you to do the national track, and you're 15, then the other thing you could do is just move up to the 18s earlier on a sectional track until you start, you know, dominating that. Then you have to figure things out a little bit more. But definitely the college players, that's a great resource. You know, they're home for the summer, Um, you know, try to get up with them. And it's 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 a great benefit for both of them, the student and the college player. And also there are men's and women's open tournaments that are in communities across the world where juniors can, you know, be in a draw with very high level adult players, whether they're former Mm -hmm. college players, former professional players, um, you know, so there are those opportunities and oftentimes the entry fees for those open tournaments are way less than what you're paying to go to a junior tournament. And then you don't have the travel expense too, if it's in your, your own community. Right. Absolutely. In fact, we're, we're kind of coming up with a list next year with a combination of like ITAs and prize money tournaments to kind of give a different option. And the prize money tournaments, I mean, they, the hospitalities there, some of them even provide housing um, like they did back in the, <laughs> the old days back in so the day a great experience <laughs> yeah it's great it's great yeah. uh great experience for the kids and, and they get to play. I, mean, I mean tennis is tennis once you get to it if you're 15 or, o- or older i mean i feel like tennis is tennis 
For sure. No matter who you play. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. And and just to point out that all of those tournaments feed into UTR. So if if your child's UTR is of concern, these are great ways for your kid to have exposure to all different types of tennis players and match play and and I mean, talk about, you know, having to learn how to deal with adversity. You go out and play against a 50 year old with a knee brace and Mm -hmm. who's slicing and dicing. I mean, it's enough to drive you insane. And, you know, it's great for these kids to get exposed to that kind of stuff early on, I think. Yeah. I mean, I agree. We took some kids to a tournament in Richmond. That was a, is a big prize money tournament and our kids, some of them played like local players. And then, um, one of them ended up playing, uh, the number two at NC state. And then another one ended up playing, uh, Robin Anderson. Who's wow. on the pro tour. So <laughs> who played um, at UCLA. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so, so it's just great experience. And we go there and they, the tournament provided housing. We go there and it's just a great atmosphere and they got, you know, great matches along the way. <clears throat> Will, have you done any of that with your kids? Yeah. Well, yeah, let me, let me first say, well, I think UTR has really changed uh, changed things quite a bit. Um, and in some ways, it kind of makes it a little confusing. But the thing about UTR is that you can, if you can't afford to travel a whole lot, but between uh, men's USDA tournaments, between junior USDA tournaments, maybe you've got enough events locally where you can hopefully run into enough good players to to get to get a rating of some kind and. Um, and that, that UTR rating is something I think the majority of the coaches are kind of looking at first more than anything else. I think they, they look at tennis recruiting a lot as well. But um, in the USTA rankings, I I think, you know, kind of comes in a little bit third these days with what maybe coaches are looking at from what I hear. But uh, the UTR makes it a little bit more possible for you to, to um, not have to travel quite as much. We definitely um, – you know, Gavin and I saved a lot of money last summer, the summer before where we played the Sol. We played all the UTR tournaments <laughs> in Atlanta. It was like five tournaments kind of back to back to back. And so Gavin was able to get about 15 matches um, against a mix of, there was a Georgia State guy that played line six. There was a UConn player that played line two. And so he got some pretty good matches and, um, and we basically paid entry fees and we didn't have to travel. So had we played the Southern 18s junior tour, that would have cost 10, 20 times as much because of all the driving in hotels and um, the entry fees of the entry fees of the uh, USDA tournaments, which are getting pretty high. There's a national level three coming up in carry for the 18s. And the the entry fee is like 130 bucks or something like that. And it's a, it's a three day tournament and, you know, they're, you know, it's, it's a lot. And I don't know how much is that. I know tournament directors get mad because it's gotten expensive to run the tournaments because of having to pay for the line judges and the umpires is one of the more uh, expensive parts of the, of the uh, event. But the more I'm going to tournaments, the most tournaments, the, the, the less value I'm seeing in return from the, from the uh, tournaments. Uh, if it's a national tournament, you're, some of the 
if inflation of the prices is just because you're getting national points that they charge for, but you're mm-hmm. not getting any more, you're not getting extra balls on the court. You're not getting any extra lunch or a nicer shirt or anything like that. But, um, but they are required to staff. I think one of the most, they're required to staff more line judges and, and things of that nature. But, but um, yeah, when you, when you start looking and, and saying, geez, right off the bat, I'm going to pay, you know, 130 bucks just to get into the tournament. So um, UTR has helped make it a little bit more possible for you to play some, uh, some events that may not be less expensive and you can maybe stay a little bit more local. And the, the thing with the UTR is that it just depends, again, depends on what you want to do. You're, you're not going to get in the thirteens or fourteens playing locally. That's just not going to happen. No, you could be 50 and 0 on your record and you're not going to get into that, you know, that 13 range where some of the top division one schools are looking at kids, but you can get up high enough to get into some of the lower division ones or division twos or division threes. But, um, I I love UTR. It's really, it's really changed things. Yeah. I I think it's really helped, especially that segment of the population that's trying to find a workaround to the expense of junior development. Yeah. And so Mike, um, if people want to get more information on your program in Greensboro, how can they do that? Yeah. Our program is called Greensboro tennis program. And, uh, our website is greensboro Awesome. That's easy enough. We'll have a link yeah. in the show notes and will, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I think if people just, if anybody has any questions on, you know, more specifically what our progression was with, with Gavin, just to email me at coach Seagraves at gmail.com. And uh, Seagraves is S E G R A V E S. So a lot of people try to spell it S E A G, but um, if anybody emails me, I'll try to get back to them. And, and uh, you guys said some, some good other things, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, what we tried to do was save money anywhere we could. So, we would, uh, if there was a tournament on Saturday, if that, if that first match wasn't at 8 a.m., you know, we were leaving it, we were going to leave at five or six in the morning to come up and play the, play the match just to avoid a night of hotels. Uh, we use Priceline for everything. Um, the usual tournament rate is about 100, 110, but with Priceline, we're getting pretty good hotels at 50, 60, $70 a night. So that saves money. Um, anytime I can get somebody to, that's going to drive my kids to go play and drive them back. And that saves gas money. Um, you name it. Sometimes Gavin's been able to stay with friends and whose parents sometimes, uh, you know, I always offer to pay, but sometimes they'll tell me no and they'll just let them stay for free with the kids. And so you just gotta, you just gotta, if you really want it, you gotta be hungry and just do your best to try to make it happen. Yeah, there definitely are ways to get there. And I think, you know, you just, like you keep saying, you have to be creative and um, you have to network. I think that's another key piece. And one thing you just said, Will, about, you know, sending Gavin with friends. Um, you know, one of the cool things about tennis is every time you go to a tournament, you meet new families. And, so it's great if, as a parent, if you can talk to some of the other parents there and find out, you know, which tournaments are your kids playing over the next few months? You know, could we maybe do a swap where 
I take your kid to this and this, and you take my kid to that and that. As you mentioned, Will, um, that's a great way to save some money. And, you know, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to get up early in the morning and make that drive and then expect your kid to be at their best for their first match. But people do it every week. (laughs) They do it. And, you know, in college, I mean, these kids are on the road trying to balance school and their training and their social life. And so this is all great preparation for their college experience. And then if they go on to play on the pro tour, I mean, we hear story after story about how challenging it is for these players to, you know, get from city A to city B and how much it costs and how are they going to find a place to stay? And especially when they're just starting out on the tour and they don't have the funds to, to pay for the nice hotels and the nice meals and the entourage and all of that. Mm. So these Uh, are all steps. For those of us that played a little bit that, you know, I was a decent college player. I wasn't a great college player, you know, played division two, but would try to play some satellites and those kinds of events in the summers. The futures used to be called satellites. And I remember we would sleep in our car most of the time. So right. we, I didn't go to a lot of tournaments, but I remember sleeping in, in uh, somewhere in South Carolina in the summer and, and windows down 90 degrees, 80 degrees, but sleeping in the car. So you didn't have to pay for, you know, a hotel and things like that. Um, but I think that, that makes you appreciate things a whole lot more. And, and so sometimes I don't, I don't know that kids always understand that. Of course, you can't necessarily send your kid off on their own to drive off and go sleep in their car these days. But, but, uh, uh, rarely did we, did we, did I get a hotel when I was traveling throughout the summer and that saved money. And I do remember my ex-wife getting really upset with me one time in Rome, Georgia, uh, and the must've been the tens, but, we played it. Gavin played a match and finished at 10 or 11 at night. I'm like, well, there's no point in getting a hotel. So we just uh, slept in the Rome Floyd emergency room hospital parking lot. Oh my gosh. He, had, <laughs> he had a match. He had a match at like 8 a.m. the next day. I'm like, we're not even going to get in the room till 1130. And then we're getting up at six anyway. So um, he was short enough at the time to stretch out in my back seat and <laughs> So we just crashed. It was, you know, emergency room was actually pretty safe. So we just, uh, my, my, my ex was not real happy when she found out about that, but, but, uh, you know, that saved 80 bucks. I, I kind of <laughs> got aside with her on that one. Sorry, Will. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's so an I, extreme case. My, my I, I don't want to recommend that, that one. <laughs> if you're, if you're a would be robber, the one thing, the one person you don't want to mess with is a, is a tennis parent during the middle of a tournament. <laughs> you know, tennis tennis parents are crazy, so you you're better off leaving that one alone. I love it. I love it. Um, well, guys, I want to thank y'all so much for sharing your insights, and I hope that we've at least gotten some creative juices flowing in the minds of some of our listeners about how you can help your child reach their highest potential in the game without breaking the bank because we know the return on investment, especially on the boys' side, is less and less as the years go on. Uh, There are only four and a half scholarships on the men's side in college, 
And, you know, so the majority of boys getting a, a college scholarship, they're, they're getting a partial at best. There are very few players getting a full ride to college anymore. So if you're thinking that you're going to recoup all these costs in the form of, of a scholarship once they go to college, uh, you are likely mistaken in that thought process. And so it's it's good to hear of some creative ways to save some money along the way. So did, thanks, did guys, so much. To talk, did you have two seconds just to talk about the, the military colleges? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I just wanted, and, and, you know, just in terms of saving money, I mean, you talk about return on investment, but, you know, um, if you if you have a child that wants to play for Army, Navy, Air Force, um, you know, if they, if they have a calling towards that, you know, you shouldn't, you should never go to one of those academies just, just because it's a good deal financially. Um, you know, Gavin had an uncle that was a Navy SEAL um, that, that two years ago at age 39 passed away with a brain tumor. And anyway, but um, so the Navy's kind of been a big part of one side of that family. And they're, you know, so he's kind of got a little bit of a calling there, but um, but for those parents that are out there, you know, if, and, and you have to have, people don't realize this, but you actually have to have really good degrees to get into the military academies. You have to have a 360 GPA and a minimum of 1200 SAT. Um, so you have to be a good student. But if you, if, if you're interested in that, and if you're, if, if you're willing to, if you know that there's going to be a commitment after college of five years or, or what have you, you know, it is a, it is one of the best returns on investments um, in terms of if you go there, the government is paying for it. So you're not paying anything to go to the college. And in most cases, I think you're, they're also paying you to go. So they're paying like a thousand dollars a month for you to go to that school as well. Um, and if you graduate as an officer at Air Force or Army or, or Naval Academy, that's a really big deal. Uh, you have a job right out of college. You don't have any student loan debt. Um, and you've gone to school with some really high quality people as well. So uh, that is a, I think that is a, a trend we're seeing even more. There's a lot of, I think the, the academies are, the tennis programs are getting stronger and stronger. It's division one and the level is getting higher and higher. Um, I think, especially when you have some good coaches like, uh, the coach at Air Force and Coach Garner at Navy. I don't know the Army coach as well, but it seems like the quality, the the it's going from three and four stars to more four and five star level players, and even a blue chip or two. But uh, that is a fantastic option for um, you know for for a young player. And it's a different type of recruiting process, right, Will? Um, because they yeah. have to have letters of recommendation from from elected officials, right? How does that work? Well, we're, we're kind of learning as we go, but um, the first thing is if, if, the, if, the, if the academy is interested in you and you give your verbal commitment to go there, the next thing really is you got to get your, make sure your, your grades are in line and then the SAT. So like, for example, they need something like a 1200. Well, Gavin has a 620 math and a 580 verbal but he still needs to get a 600 in the verbal. So he's retaking the verbal part. And I think once you have a 600 and a 600 and a certain GPA, then you've kind of satisfied the, the academic side of it. The next part is he's been filling out um, a good bit of paperwork. You got to get some recommendations from your teachers. And then I think, I think the coaches help you a little bit 
get in contact, but you're, you'll you'll need to go meet with a congressperson or a senator and and get a get a uh, recommendation from at least one, maybe two of those. So we'll we'll as we go through the process, we'll know a little bit more. But you do get a little bit of guidance and help from the coach. You're not just kind of cold calling a senator, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, but yes, there's uh, there's a few more hoops to jump through. But, um, you know, once uh, first time Gavin went for a a recruiting trip to Navy, they did a just a wonderful job. They had 10 kids show up that they that, that Navy was interested in. They stayed, they paired and partnered up with one of the um, players on the, on the team stayed with them for the day and a half, went to classes, got a real good idea of what they're getting into because it's, it's, um, you know, it's pretty serious there. So, uh, which I think is great, but, um, and then they went to, they got to sit with the midshipmen during the Navy air force football game. Um, and so when I kind of came to pick Gavin up, he didn't want to leave and we really didn't even look at a school after that. That was it. So he just said, you know, pretty much this is what I want to do. Um, so that, that that's kind of the process there. Mm-hmm. It is, it is very different from a non-military academy recruiting process in that, well, A, like you said, the tuition is a hundred percent covered by the government, but also the academic requirements and the recommendations um, are, you know, pretty high and pretty strict. So if yeah. anybody is, is interested in, in learning more about recruiting at the military academies, let me know. And I will do some more research on that. And maybe we'll do a podcast on just that topic at a later date. And Will, you can come back and share what you've learned too. Yes. We have. That'd to. be great. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again, you guys. And like I said, I hope we've kind of gotten the creative juices flowing in, in our listeners this week about how to get through this whole journey with a little less out-of-pocket cost. And, um, you know, it's I'm always open to suggestions. So any of you listening, if you have any ideas to share, you can comment on the show notes on parentingaces.com and share your money-saving finds with the rest of us. And uh, again, to Mike Belongia and Will Seagraves, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your experiences with us on Parenting Aces. Thank you, Lisa. It's been great. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, buy a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.